Welcome to Drowning in Manga, where we explore the deep, dark depths of manga. I am one of your hosts, Vlord GTZ, and I got my co-host with me. Uh, I am Meowth900, also known as the other host person. Yes, we're back to talk about more of that Shonen Sunday, Shonen Magazine goodness, and we've got two new series to talk about this week. One from Shonen Sunday, one from Shonen Magazine. It's gonna be a great time. We're gonna, we're gonna, we have a lot of manga to cover. We're gonna be drowning in manga, just talking about it. It's, it's gonna be good. Get two series. I thought we only had one. Asking the bill and the viewers, because last time we said we had one, and now we have two. Well, we 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 made a change of plans or something. I, I don't know. I'm try. I'm trying to keep up the continuity. <laughs> The the continuity no longer makes sense. This is a, uh, this is a, I don't know. This is like a, this is the new fifty two of podcasts. I guess the continuity makes no sense. We have landed in some parallel dimension where we suddenly have two manga to do instead of one. Yes, but basically, but we'll we'll get into that when we uh when we reach there, uh, but uh. In, in any case, let's let, let's uh, get into the recap. Okay, so we're going to start off our recaps with Zero's Tea Time Chapter 7. Allison, you do the honors of recapping this. I get to do this again. Start with the cover page. It looks like Amuro is playing a round of tennis. Hey, this is like that Prince of Tennis manga, but with Amuro, I'm already invested into whatever is going to happen. I mean, it could be Baby Steps, too. I do love me some Baby Steps. Just Prince of Tennis is like a more tennis balls. Baby Steps is kind of more strategic tennis balls. True, true. Amuro could do both and have a good time. Just uh car in an empty parking lot and uh, looks like Amuro is talking on the phone. And it says on the way home from certain case in his beloved car, the undercover agent Borbin has become interested in the target and person he's talking to. Amuro is on the phone and next panel has a lady in a bathtub and she has some nice legs. The captioning says her name is Vermouth. I forget who that is. But... Vermouth is, uh, is one of the more higher ups in the black organization. So, uh, for people who aren't aware of the deep Conan timeline, basically she is like the main villain of like the, I guess third major like story arc of the series. Yeah, so she's a she's a pretty big deal. Thank you for that explanation for both me and the viewers who aren't invested in the deep Conan lore. Yes, you always have your friendly neighborhood Conan database V-Lord here. Or you could just go to the Detective Conan World wiki, whichever one of us is more efficient. Hint, it's probably the wiki. <laughs> I was going to give you a vote of confidence by saying you are more convenient, but okay. <laughs> okay, so now the side text says, this story is the record of the days in the life of the triple-faced man, MPA, Black Org, and the detective. Man. And Vermouth is saying, unfortunately, the information on Sherry's coincidentally fell into your lap. And later the rest, so... 
Who Sherry again? Be Lord help me. Who's Sherry? Sherry is uh iHybra. Oh. Yeah, so that that was her code name uh when she was with the organization. I guess uh I guess uh for more Conan context here for people who aren't really reading Conan, uh Amro's initial mission as Bourbon was to uh first find if uh Akai was still alive and then to see if Sherry was uh to hunt down Sherry to make sure that she is killed. And basically Hybra faked her death um in front of Amro, so the organization thinks that Hybra is dead. Okay. And now Borman's like, I've suddenly developed interest in a detective they call Sleeping Kogoro. I wanted to investigate the secret as to how he sleeps so soundly at the same time. Also I think Sleeping Kogoro is a dash who Conan talks with the bow tie while he's asleep. Yeah, that, that's the, that's what they, uh, know Kogoro is. That, that, that's just like his signature move, the sleeping pose. I'm trying to help out people who don't know Conan in my own unique way. Yeah, I guess one thing to note here is that both, uh, both Amaro and Vermouth are aware that Conan is the real person behind Sleeping Kogoro. Like, Ver Vermouth is one of the people, few people in the series, who knows Conan is Shinichi Kudo. And she keeps that secret from the organization for, uh, for various reasons. Uh, long story short, Vermouth, Vermouth was, like, saved by Shinichi. Oh. See, everybody's learning things today. On the phone, and he's like, you can't sleep? Yes. Then the door slams. See, you have to run those kind of run-of-the-mill troubles as well? And the vermin's like, excuse me? What do you think I am exactly? They're giving some sort of advices on how to, like, go to sleep. The blue light emitted from cell phones and PCs keeps you awake. So they should be avoided before bed. We take this advice from this manly man. Then there's more cooking segments with Bourbonot still on the phone. He's making some nice, delicious uh, food. I can't really tell. Not good though. And later on, it looks like uh, Amaro is making with pickled plums and powdered kelp. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, ume Umeko Bucha, I think. Okay. Umeko Bucha. Citric acid, sodium, potassium. So you can expect it to help you recover from fatigue and relax. The advice. Mr. Amaro is on his laptop doing some homework or something. Then he looks at his cell phone and it's 3.02 a.m. Oh man, uh, I can only sleep for 90 minutes. I can relate sometimes. Finds a locked uh, file on his computer and it shows a picture. And Amaro starts to look all sad and stuff. All those people in the photos are like his buddies or something. Yeah, so I guess uh, I, I guess I can give some context here. These are all characters that have appeared before in flashbacks of Conan. So the person on the furthest from the right is uh, uh, Wataru Date, who was uh, Takagi's kind of mentor when he was like a police cadet. Then the second from the right is Scotch, uh, who was 
who was uh, Amaro's kind of partner within the Black organization, as they were both secret agents for the NPA. And he got uh, killed while they were in the organization. And uh, the two on the left are... The, the one in the back is Kenji Hagiwara, and the one with the sunglasses is Jinpei Matsuda, who was uh, one of Sato's former love interests who died while trying to uh, defuse a bomb. So basically, all, all, all these guys are dead. <laughs> and they're, they're all friends in like the... The National Police Academy. Yep, well, that probably explains why Amaro looks all sad now. <laughs> yep. Amaro is looking at his phone. He can't sleep. And now it's 5 a.m. Amaro just, like, lies back down on his pillow. You get a nice shot of his uh, shoulders and a little bit of his pecs. And it is the next day. And Amaro is a tired boy because he couldn't sleep though so good. This is like, what's the matter, Amuro? Did you not get in that sleep? And it's like, oh, jeez. If you knew the night Amuro had, you would probably understand why he could not sleep at all. Zeus is like, I'm betting you were tucked in your sheets until late at night playing with your smartphone, right? And then Amuro's like, right, I suppose. It's like, you really can't take in the light from your smartphone before you sleep because you'll wake up. And make sure you take a bath at least 30 minutes before you lie down and write on your try tea. And herb tea. Anything without caffeine. Chat is still bitter, I suppose. And then Zeus is like, get yourself together, Amaro. You're the face of poor rote. You zone out, dies for girls and get disappointed. And then a bottom text says, Amaro, who reaped what he sowed? The next issue is everyday life tea time that begins with four color pages at the start of the magazine. Yay, color pages. I'm showing Sunday is like really relying on Amuro now, I guess. Amuro is uh Amuro's uh, getting uh those uh customers for the cafe and also the customers for Sunday. Well someone's gonna take care of Sunday while Shachikin comes on break again. Yeah, and whatever Conan takes its hiatuses nowadays. I guess, like, my, my thoughts on this chapter overall is I really liked it. Like, a lot of these last few chapters are kind of just more, like, regular slice-of-life chapters. Well, this one I kind of just find interesting because it's really kind of pinning down more into kind of Amro's psyche a bit. Just kind of his regrets of how all his friends have kind of moved on, but he's still... He still has to push forward in his own life, like, despite his loved ones kind of having already passed on and like it's kind of the struggle for him like his journey's not over yeah and, and even without the context i still had a good time yeah well that's a good thing about zero's tea time you don't need all the conan context necessarily but with it you also get an amazing chapter <laughs> it was already pretty good we got the amro cooking something and then we got some good amro shoulder pecs at nighttime. So. It pleases all the people. Yup. Color pages have them shirtless or something. But yeah, I guess uh, we should uh, move on to uh, the new chapter of Detective Conan. Hey, all the words. Yes, all the, all the deep, gritty dialogue. Gritty dialogue that the Lord is better at remembering than I am. I mean, I don't remember all of it. I, I just remember the key details. I I, I uh, keep a. Uh, Keen eye for details like Conan always. 
says and stuff. Chapter of Conan is this week anyways, I forget. This chapter of Conan is chapter uh, 1015. So yeah, let's uh, get right into this chapter. Uh, so yeah, chapter 1015 of Detective Conan. So we're basically continuing off the last chapter where one of Naiko's other friends, Yagi Shiori, has been murdered. And uh, basically all the police officers are there inspecting the corpse and such. Uh, they notice the 100 yen coin uh, on top of her cracked phone, which is a sign that uh, the serial killer has a grudge against the police. And basically Inspector Megare is there and he's like, uh, he's yelling at Chiba, Shiratori, and Takagi and Sato to go commence the investigation. And uh, basically they all start looking around while, while Sato first uh, notices a weird scratch on the tip of Yagi's nose. And that it looks like uh, her lipstick smeared onto the right side of her mouth. What she feels could be a potential clue to the investigation, and uh, they're then looking at the uh, then looking at the direction of the phone, thinking maybe the direction is where the culprit went, and uh, uh, Inspector Crota's like maybe if she called someone, they might have heard something. But then we see the silhouette of the criminal behind Kuroda. And they're like, they heard nothing since I destroyed the phone before the call got connected. But the last one, where's the last one? That person who took away Aiko's life. And uh, it then shows uh, this one flashback of uh, Yagi and uh, Toko calling Yumi while interrogating the criminal a few days ago. And the criminal is like, Who's who's Yumi? Where is that woman? And uh, then we pan over to Conan, who's like, uh, yeah, he's like basically confirming that it looks like it's related to the traffic offender from a few weeks ago. And Conan decides to go over to Cafe Poirot to investigate. And it seems hey. uh, in the last panel of this page, it seems like Kuroda notices this because like he gets an exclamation on his face and he's just like staring at Conan as he's like going away on his skateboard. Also one thing to note, Conan's actually using his skateboard for once. He really doesn't use that that much anymore outside of like the movies. Which is cool. Like <laughs> where all the action parts happen mostly. Yeah, they, they always use it during like the action scenes because like the skateboard looks cool in those. But uh anyways, uh Conan arrives at Cafe Poirot, and then goes and talks to Azusa, and uh, he asks Azusa like uh, about uh, the incident at the intersection outside Cafe Poirot from a few days ago, and she's like, I only briefly glanced at it, but Amaro here saw, saw, saw it all and went to check. So Amaro explains how like uh, Toko and Yaki were having an argument with the three offenders, and Cohen asks, uh, what uh, the offenders were getting angry about. Um, one of them was uh, crying while asking them to let him go since his neurotic girlfriend was waiting for him. 
Um, one of the other ones was saying that his ex-wife was suffering from domestic violence at the hands of her new lover, and he had to go and quickly save her. And uh, the last one said that he was in a big hurry since his younger sister was haunted by a stalker, and he had to be by her side or else it would be dangerous for her. And uh, yeah, well, one thing, one thing here that's kind of funny, though, is that all three of these people just all happen to have some sort of female figure in their life that is uh, in danger right at this moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the complete uh, irony here. But uh, in any case, um, continuing on, uh, Amuro asks, uh, what's up? What's up and why Conan's asking this? And Conan's like, uh, because uh, both Toko and Yagi got murdered. And Aza says, like, no way. And Amuro kind of gets, like, also a glum face on. Um, and then Conan asks uh, if any of them among them seemed like they played sports. And uh, Amuro asks why. And Conan says it's uh, because uh, in the park, the dead body of Toka was pointing at a swing. And that uh, it could represent swinging a bat or a golf club. And Amro's like, he doesn't know anything about those three men, so he can't really help. So, uh, Conan then just leaves and says, uh, to call him if, uh, they remember anything else. And after Conan leaves, Azza says, like, Conan-kun really looks like a detective. And Amaro is like, uh, yeah, he is. And moreover, a considerably astute private eye. And, like... As he's saying this, um, that he's remembering back to his encounter from, uh, between, uh, him and Akai from the end of the case before this, where Akai's saying, what if I said that I already knew that you would be sneaking in here today? Um, which implies that Conan tipped off Akai to Amaro's infiltration. Also, I'm still curious what the heck they even talked about after uh, oh. Yusaku <laughs> intruded, but I guess uh, I guess we at least know that Amro's alive and well and nothing bad happened. <laughs> this chapter was good because it had Amro, I guess. <laughs> I, I'm just even more curious what exactly Yusaku and uh, his wife talked to Akai and Amro about, though. Hopefully we get back to plot soon. Yeah. The only spot that actually matters. Um, in any case, uh, moving back to the police officer side of things, uh, uh, Sato and Naiko tell, uh, Yumi about, uh, Yagi's death, and, uh, Yumi asks if, like, there were any suspects or any clues, and, uh, Sato said that they tried calling the suspicious, uh, people who got pulled over last week, and there were no answers back. And that the swing is the only clue. And uh, uh, Sato says if they notice anything to let her know. And uh, basically Sato leaves them uh, with a picture of Yaki's dead body in case they see any clues on it. And Yumi notices uh, Yumi notices uh, something uh, about the alley in the park. And uh, a call from an unknown number. Um, and so when Yumi picks up the number, wondering who it is... It turns out to be, uh, her boyfriend, Shukichi. 
and Shukichi's like crying and saying, Why did you block my calls? Uh, I, I guess for a context here, Shukichi is a, is a, sh- a shogi master uh, who also happens to be a, uh, the brother of uh, Sarah and uh, Akai. Yeah. So, like, he, he and Yumi kind of had an on-and-off-again relationship until it kind of stabilized after a while. And, like, Sh- anyway, Shukichi's like, I'm really worried about you. I heard the news just now that a- another policewoman was murdered. And uh, he asks uh, what phone he's using. And uh, he says it's a senior smartphone at a shogi hall. And that uh, basically, uh, um, basically Yumi just tells him to go focus on his, uh, match, uh, his shogi match and not, like, worry about him. I love March comes in like a lion. <laughs> yes, basically. Though, uh, one thing, uh, uh, one thing, uh, that, uh, uh, Shiki just mentioned that Yumi was, uh, staying over at his place, uh, the other night. Ooh, so, uh, they, they were having some action there, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, Conan um, actually has boning. Who knew? Oh my. Um, but yeah, y- Yumi basically just tells him to focus on that stuff and then hangs up the call. And then Yumi says that she's gonna go check someplace out. We then pan over back to Sato, who's now with uh, Shiratori and Chiba. And uh, basically, they're gonna go ask the residents in the area if they saw anything. Uh, meanwhile, Yumi seems to have arrived at the alley that the murder of Yagi took place. And it seems like she uh, notices the presence of a suspicious figure. And she's like, she gets a little scared and is like, who? Who's there? And then Yumi doesn't notice anyone, so she just thinks it's her imagination. And then continues on with her business. But then we see the foot of someone right behind her police car. Um, then we pan back to Sato, Chiba, and Shiratori, who are talking to various uh, people in the in the area. And uh, basically, uh, they ask one woman and uh, uh, if she uh, saw any suspicious people. And they mentioned that uh, they saw a person jump off the rooftop of a building last week. And this gets a shocked... Uh, face on all of them but then they also hear a scream nearby and uh an old man um starts screaming that he saw a dead policewoman so Sato, Shiratori, and Chiba all run over to the scene and they see Yumi on the floor and what seems to be blood underneath her head. I guess she's dead now. Yeah, I, I, I kind of doubt that she's dead. Because for one thing, if you notice the actual... Well, for one thing, there's already freaking uh, uh, corpse markers around the place. So I'm pretty sure that's where Yagi's dead body landed. And Yumi is just on the floor trying to replicate uh, what the body probably looked like. Okay. Yeah, so y- Yumi's not dead. They aren't going to kill off Yumi. She's like... Uh, She's like a major secondary character. <laughs> As someone who doesn't have any context, I wouldn't really feel anything if they killed her off right now. They they they, they should have killed off Yubi. Yubi's 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 fun. She she's like the she's like the best comedy relief in the police force. 
investment in the police of course i would probably be enjoying this art but i don't so this is like man i want more amorous stuff with that guy one day allison when you catch up all these police cases will be fun for you <laughs> but uh what did you think of this chapter overall it was a good time it's just like i'm not really invested in this police thing Earl was in it briefly and helped out Conan a little bit in the best way he could. Yeah, that, that's fair. I mean, I get, like, like I said, like, if you aren't super familiar with a lot of these cops, like, it's, I guess it's definitely hard to get a bit invested in this. Like, because a lot of these characters have had, like, hundreds of chapters to develop and be established. So it's like, without, without a lot of that, it's just kind of like, oh, here are these, like, various characters that aren't Conan. Various characters that aren't really Conan, or the old guy with the mustache, or the girlfriend. Or the other girl. Sunoko? Or, uh... Uh, that girl who snaps around a lot. I forget her name. Yeah, that's Sunoko. Or, yeah. But I will... Like, the one, like, blonde-haired one? Yeah, but I will admit, these cops are less annoying than the detective boys, so... That's an improvement. I mean, it's pretty hard to be as annoying as the detective boys can be at times. Like, more like, I want to see more of the stuff with the main characters. Yeah, I mean, I I'm so curious what the heck happened uh, between Amuro and Akai. Though it seems like we'll probably see what happens soon. The inverse of what's going on in One Piece right now is they're doing stuff with characters that aren't Luffy. Yeah, but the stuff in the stuff in One Piece, the stuff in One Piece though is like super interesting though, because it's the Reverie and the Reverie. Look, we have all these like crazy things going on in the Reverie, and like everyone who isn't the Straw Hats is like showing up. Like, freaking Kuma's there, Bonnie's there, uh, Vivi's there, what freaking King Wapple from like. Hundreds of chapters ago is there. It's 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 amazing. And when it showed the 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 even cop, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. I got excited when he showed up, and then I got excited when Sabo showed up. Yeah, it's it's gonna be so good. But uh, we should we should be focusing on uh, Shonen Sunday still here. Um, and next we're gonna cover uh a new Shonen Sunday series that we're adding here. Uh. Uh, sh uh, the Lies of Sheriff Evans, Dead or Love. Uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, Chapter 58 here. And uh, Allison, you do the honors of uh, reading this, or recapping this, since you're the one who's still caught up. <laughs> if I finish catching up in like two days. I'll, I'll, ca I'll catch up eventually. I I I'm like fairly far in, but I still have gap. <laughs> oh. As long as you do Ace of Diamonds Act 2 with me, we're good. It's all good. And chapter 58 starts with uh, Evans and... Uh, but that other girl was not the main girl. They're running from train tracks because Evans' dad is like, gonna go shoot down some bad guys. Girl. Oh, there's a name. Like, man, I'm excited for that date with Evans' dad. You're back. And then Evan's dad's like, I was just thinking about what he'd do for our date. Interior box says, he has all the reason in the world to live. Evans' dad is just like thirsty as hell. <laughs> yep. Good dad. 
Next page, as the uh, main girl says, the gifts was the real Morris. The uh, U.S. Marshal named Mark Jensen says, I just happened to catch him. The criminal dude in handcuffs, Mark Johnson, you have saved the day. Well, sure, you can take this gentleman back with you. Present him to the bounty hunters and they'll give up. I'm sure they won't notice the difference between him and the prince. Well, let's get back home. And then the commentary box is like, she finally realized she just went through this, all that for nothing. Mark didn't really make any character relationship progress happen at all. <laughs> and now she's like, why do I feel like I just got the wool pulled over my eyes? And then Emmett is like, Oakley, I've been thinking about what to tell the other bounty hunters. You caught this guy. My apologies for tricking you. And the commentary box is like, she was still pretending she already knew everything, even though she didn't. One thing I like about this manga is like, it has all these exaggerated facial expressions. And it shows characters being like, I knew how to do this. And then the commentary box is like, no, you didn't. You're just faking it. <laughs> it's a manga full of lies. <laughs> Oakley's blushing and saying, Seriously? Just the sorry for him would be enough for me. The box is like, her emotions just pulled a 180 right there. Yep, I agree. Commentary box. Then Evans is like, what about all that? Oakley, this isn't about who takes the credit you'll get for bringing him in. Think about it. I'm calling him. I can't just claim the reward for something I didn't do. Poster says, Clinton Morris escaped prisoner, dollar sign, 19000. And then the commentary box says, that's a lot of money to let go. I vote they should turn the guy in and get the money, because that's a lot of money. You know what I mean, V-Lord? Yeah, yeah. I mean, m money's money. You can't go wrong with that good money. <laughs> It'll help you invest in more manga to drown in. Exactly. Okay, and let's just say you should receive credit for it. And Oakley's like, no means no. Oh my god, take the money, girl. Horsey. And the horsey is revealed to be Evan's dad and the other girl riding on the horsey. Evan's dad's like, sorry to make you all turn back around, but take Gabby back to the ferry. And Sheriff, that Morris fellow you're carrying there, take him back to town with you. Evan's is like, but I just can't leave Oakley so empty-handed. And then Evan's dad's like, going to dinner instead. And then the commentary box is like, this is a man who thinks inviting a girl out to dinner is the perfect idea of a reward. And Evans is like, pause, right? I can make it up to Oakley without hurting her pride by inviting her out to dinner. Flashback scene. Occasionally in this manga, Evans will have flashbacks to, quote, good advice from his daddy. Oh my god, the, the advice flashbacks are always amazing. Yep, so this flashback segment says, Dad, and then Dad's like, son, difference between lunch and dinner is, then Evans is like, well, you're eating food either way, so nothing, I guess. It's like, this. a dinner is considered a date. And the commentary box says, this is the underlying intent that's important. <laughs> So I guess, like, Evans' dad doesn't go on dates for lunch? I mean, I mean lunch dates are a thing. Like, is, is he anti-lunch date? <laughs> is that the under true underlying message? Maybe he'd use this the afternoon for cuddle time. Who knows? I, I mean, I guess. 
Shine equals cuddle time, according to Evans is dead. And Evans is like, dinner, huh? Fine, she agreed to it. <laughs> and then the commentary box says, if that's not a plate and invitation, I don't know what is. <laughs> and then Oakley's like, I already refused the reward money. If I accept the invitation now, Evans might think I'm accepting because of some ulterior motive. <laughs> Well, if you're satisfied with that, then I guess I'll take you up on that. And then the commentary box is like, of course she can't. Just bored out that she'd love to go out on a date. And I'm like, you're right, commentary box. That Evans and Oakley are both thinking that dinner's never gonna happen. Oh no. It's a day by saying, I invite both of you to the meal. I'm responsible for getting the two of you involved in this hectic business to start. Least I could do is buy you two a meal to show you my appreciation. Even if you're pissed. And then Evans like, sounds good. Anyways. And Obi's like, yeah. <laughs> and the commentary box is like, they don't even mind a third person joining at this point. Yeah, I mean, Abby can third wheel the date. It's fine. <laughs> it makes a good third wheel. And Evans is like, I appreciate all your help, sir. It's like, next time we come looking for help in hand, I'll sure come and look for you. Stay safe. Always impressive, even when he's leaving. That's my pop for you. Till we meet again, Evan's dad. Because she's really looking forward to that date with Evan's dad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Evan's dad's a player. <laughs> oh my god, this chapter was so good. Yeah, well, one thing I really like about this manga is it kind of it ma kind of makes fun of a bit of the rom com formula by always like kind of like breaking the down the logic behind like Evans and uh, Oakley is like adverting their feelings for each other. <laughs> it sort of feels like a subpar making fun of all the romances in Conan that are basically that. Ugh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> But, but yeah, but yeah, I, I like this chapter a lot. It, it was fun. It's a good romantic comedy manga, like the other one that we got into this. Uh, yeah. Uh, kawaii. Ko kawaii is also a ton of fun. But before we get to Kawaii, we have another manga we have to talk about here. Silver Spoon. Hey, Silver Spoon finally came out, Bjorn. <laughs> yeah, th this uh was a... Uh, the Silver Spoon chapter that came out last week, but unfortunately wasn't translated at that time, so we're just going to cover it now. But let's get straight into this. Silver Spoon chapter 127. Uh, this chapter basically starts off with uh, Hachiken's uh, graduation ceremony. So like we see uh, Hachiken's parents at the ceremony alongside Tokiwa's parents. And Tokiwa's mom, like... Thanks, uh, Hotchkin's dad for the other day, helping out, uh, cooking the chicken and stuff. And Tokiwa's mom tells, uh, Hachikin's mom that Hachikin was basically the reason Tokiwa was able to even graduate in the first place. And that Hachikin is their savior. I mean, she's uh, not wrong. Yeah, and, like, Hachikin's dad's just like, that's very kind of you. And then we uh, kind of just pan over to uh, Hachiken getting his diploma. And the principal's like, you did, you really did your best. And then uh, they start singing their uh, graduation song. Yeah, so we just see all the people 
from the class graduating, and uh, Hotchkin kind of reminisce. Hotchkin basically reminisces a bit, like many years have passed, and at first he wasn't sure about the school and that there were many difficulties. And there was so much about the world that he didn't know, and there's so much that he hated. But there was also a lot of fun things that he encountered here. And he's he's kind of happy about everything that has happened, and now it's all finally over. And then after the principal congratulates them on their graduation, they all start, like, <laughs> cheering because they're free from all the unpaid labor that they've had to do and no more being forced to work on uh, free days anymore and the pr- all the teachers just kind of laughing at them be like nobody is crying this year either they're all so cheerful they're only and then one of them is saying they're only changing from being slaves livestock to corporate slaves though <laughs> because it's true yeah and then uh, basically all of them kind of talk about where they're going for college uh um basically they just kind of go through all that and uh uh, the the one standout uh the one standout uh comment here is uh from from uh i think yoshino who's like she just says unemployed in big bold letters i mean that's relatable to people who are graduating in these days yeah, and uh, basically she she elaborates and says that she decided to turn down uh, uh, the manufacturing job at White, that uh, one cheese shop, probably because of the comments she heard from uh, those uh, farmers in a few chapters ago. And uh, basically she says that she's decided to instead go to France to study cheese. And they kind of ask, can she even speak French? She's just like, she's just going to wing it and all. And when Nishikawa hears this, he decides to give her a farewell gift, which is uh, one of his prized anime sets, Kanoichi Sisters Cool and Cute. And it's a popular uh, anime in France, apparently. Um, And like he said, she can use it as a icebreaker to learn French. And that the otaku life transcends borders. Reminded me of Onoda when he did that. Yep. Lord doesn't read Yamushikado, I forgot. Well, one day. <laughs> I think he would like it personally. I, I, I definitely would. But uh, in any case, uh, the, everyone starts leaving the, the ceremony since it's commenced. And as uh, Hachigan and his parents are leaving... Mikage goes up to Hotchkin's dad and is like, do you remember my promise? And Hotchkin's dad gives her the death stare. But then Mikage (laughs) gets the courage to start talking again. And uh, she says, I was able to get into college thanks to Hotchkin. And Hotchkin is always sincere and true to his word. Uh, And so please believe in Hotchkin. And... Um, Hotchkin's dad's just like, I already believe in him and I think he's truly become an adult. And, uh, I think the biggest, the biggest comment from Hotchkin's dad this, this chapter is, whether or not you pass your exam, come home anyways, Yugo. We need to continue to talk about the specifics of my investment in your company. And yeah, like, Hotchkin's dad has finally acknowledged Hotchkin. As 
accomplished and like really really one of the big things that's already always weighed down Hotchkin is kind of finally been concluded there's finally closure to it which is so satisfying through the manly ice went <laughs> um and then after that Hotchkin's dad all further elaborates and says however I think it's still too soon for uh, you and Mikage to get married and then he goes on this like log like uh explanation of uh how um for for a regular person to acquire farm farmland is quite difficult so marrying into a family would be probably the best way to do it but at the same time they're too young to do it but if uh Hachikin could convince him otherwise he might be able to consider it and Hachikin's like why are you so dense about this and then he explains that he learned all about this from Tokiwa, who was like god awful with rumors. I think uh, if if uh, some people remember in like the very early chapters of Silver Spoon, Toki was the one who like made everyone think Hotchkin got a Yoshino pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, to- Toki was just a rumor, a rumor uh, fanatic. And uh, at, um, Tokiwa at the on one of the panels is like, if you can't secure a wife while you're a student, it gets pretty tough afterwards. And Tokiwa's like crying literal blood. Um, and then and then suddenly a Mikage's dad appears out of nowhere, grabs Hotchkin by the head, <laughs> and then he's like, "Nice to meet you, Mister Hotchkin. I am Aki Mikage's father." We are very thankful that your son helped our daughter with her entrance exam. And Hotchkin just, Hotchkin's dad just kind of death, death stare faces, just like, we are also thankful to have Mikage help out our son. And then it's like Godzilla versus Predator or something. It's it's Predator versus the brown bear. <laughs> and then like you can see he's still grabbing Hotchkin's face. It's all yeah. like a beanbag. But then uh, suddenly a Mikage's mom shows up and grabs uh grabs hot uh grabs uh Mikage's dad by the neck and is just like, I'm so sorry about this. He gets this way whenever it comes to Mikage. Um Hotchkin, please continue to get along with uh with uh, Aki. And uh she basically just drags him back home. And then there's this, this image of Predator versus Brown Bear versus Mom. And uh, the mom is just coddling the Brown Bear. Uh, but then, of course, at the end of this page, we see that uh, Silver Spoon will be back on indefinite hiatus now. Tis a shame. Oh, we had a good run, V-Lord. Yeah, we got four chapters this time instead of three. It's progress. <laughs> Almost enough to fill a tank of on or whatever they call that over there, right? I mean, I think they have enough now to fill a tank of on if like this combined with the last batch, so possibly. I mean, in any case, the series is almost over at this point. They like literally graduated, and like exams are kind of all over. So now I think I think maybe the last batch or the next batch after that will be the final batches. So we're we're basically at the final stretch. Good, but also, I feel sad, because I miss Mahachikin. Yeah, tis a shame, tis a shame. Everyone's always 
disappointed about Hunter Hunter and Berserk being on that yet. But I'm like, hey man, at least you guys have like a, some sort of variability of when they're come back. Silver Spoon's like, it'll take a break for one or two years, then come back for like three weeks. Yeah, at this point we're like so close to the end that like I'm I'm willing to wait. Um, in any case, let's get on to some happier stuff with Tonikaku Kawaii Chapter Eighteen. So, uh, this chapter starts off with, uh, basically continuing from the last chapter when NASA, uh, ev- arrived home to Sukasa's cooking, and NASA's like, is that an Osamatsu shirt? I'm not sure. Osamatsu shirt. See, it's got, like, that little logo on it. Huh, I guess, yeah. Maybe it is an Osamatsu shirt. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in any case, uh, NASA is, like, asking Sukasa, uh, Sukasa if, uh, she wants an engagement ring, and, uh, NASA's getting, like, super, super hardcore about it, like, yes, a shining diamond on your finger to show our love, our bonds, the sparkles of eternal love, marvelous! And the Sukasa's like, since we're already married, engagement ring's kind of unnecessary, and, uh, Sukasa realizes, oh dear, are you talking about a wedding ring? And NASA's like, huh? Engagement rings and wedding rings are different? And then uh, basically, Sukasa goes into an explanation of what the difference between engagement rings and uh, uh, marriage rings are, or wedding rings. And uh, basically, engagement rings obviously are things that you give to a girl when you're proposing, and that's what you spend like your three-month salary on, and they have huge diamonds and all that. And, um, basically they're meant to be flashed and you're only supposed to put them on during fancy parties. Meanwhile, you have, uh, wedding rings, which are supposed to be a pair for men and women, obviously. And the man's version is different from the woman's. And that's the ring that, uh, couples or married couples usually wear every single day. And, uh... You can see, like, while Sukasa's saying this, like, NASA's, like, writing down notes. <laughs> Which is just, like, really funny. But, uh, she then says, like, since we already uh, got married, there's no point in the wedding ring. Or no point in the engagement ring, so, um, that's a waste of money. And even the uh, wedding rings would, uh, feel like a waste of money. And, uh, Mrs. Scott, uh, Nyasa's kind of disappointed by this, but then Sakasa also says, like, Diamonds are expensive, and, uh, and I, like, she says, I think wanting one's good enough for me, and there's no need to waste the money, and, uh, I think, to prove a point, Sukasa decides, um, to take them to an expensive jewelry, jewelry shop to go look at rings, so they go to a super fancy shop called Honey Winston, and at this place, uh, we see a bunch of rings that are, like, 1 million to, like, 5.6 million yen. Which, uh, yeah, that, that's a lot of money. Like, take off two zeros from that, and that's, like, basically what it is in American dollars. It's, like, we see, like, a 12,000 equivalent dollar ring, a $33,000 equivalent ring, and a $56,000 uh, equivalent ring. And NASA just kind of freaks out and, like, uh, asks if, like, they're coming in pairs and, like, that's just the cost for each one, apparently. And, uh, the, 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 the price basically brings him to the edge of despair, jokingly. 
and the the seller kind of the seller kind of goes hardcore and elaborates on why the diamonds are like the best in the world and stuff. And NASA kind of gets sucked up by it and is like, I, I can't miss out on this and looks at his bank account where he has like 5.3 million yen. But then Sukasa notices that he's gonna give in. Um, so she grabs him by the hand and drags him out of the store. And it's like <laughs> uh, she's like, I I thought seeing those prices would make you lose interest in wanting to buy the rings. And he's like, but diamonds are once in a lifetime. And though honey Winston's diamonds are best in the world. And he's like, I wanna show a sign of our love. And basically she then kind of gives in and says that they should head to another store called Okachimachi. And uh, basically they go to Okachimachi and they see like um, rings that are way cheaper. Like they see one for a three point, uh, they see one that's similar to 3.4 million diamond for only 298,000. And then they see a few other ones around there for 680,000 and stuff like that. I like this place. <laughs> yeah, NASA's like, I like this place. It's super cheap, Sukasa, And Sukasa's just like, calm down, dear. 680k is not cheap. Which she's right. 680k is still like $6,800 <laughs> equivalent. And uh, basically later after they, uh, uh, basically, they, they leave the store and... Uh, Basically, Nass is still really sad that uh, uh that they didn't get rings, and he explains that uh that he wants them to get rings so that they won't feel so lonely when they're away from each other. And uh, Sukasa's like, "Oh, I get it. So he wanted to get the rings for me, which just makes her really happy." And then she kisses him on the cheek, and uh, she says that uh, she loves him. Then on the next page, uh, on the next page, we see that uh. They went go back to the store and they get the cheapest rings, which are uh thirty two thousand for a pair, which is basically three hundred and twenty dollars. And uh basically NASA's somewhat disappointed that they got the cheapest one and asks if uh Sukasa's okay with it. And Sukasa just with a smile on her face says of, says of course, and that when she sees this ring she'll remember this day for sure. And uh how uh how uh, NASA got overwhelmed at Honey Winston and how they ended up getting the cheapest diamond. And then about how NASA is so sweet and thought about her the entire time. And uh, she also said, and I won't forget about uh, how you love me. And also that 32000 is not cheap. <laughs> and NASA's just like, right. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> But yeah, I, I like this chapter a lot. It's, it's just another cute and fun chapter. What do you think of it, Allison? No, it's pretty funny. Because the uh, main guy is like, I know nothing about rings at all in both, because I also know nothing about rings. Yeah, same. I, I kind of forgot there's a difference between an engagement ring and a wedding ring. Like, I, I knew, like, there's separate rings, but I didn't know, like, there's usually, like, a difference in, like, what you're looking for with a wedding ring and engagement ring. So, yeah, I guess, I guess that was one thing I learned uh, from Tony Kaku Kawaii this week. And I also learned that people can really rip you off with uh, ring prices. Yeah, diamonds are expensive. 
They're combinations of really powerful elements combined into one object that looks really shiny. Yup. But yeah, overall, good chapter, and I like it a lot. Tonikaku Kwai continues to be fantastic. And Shonen Sunday needs more hits. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad this is doing well on Shonen Sunday. Mamoru doesn't have to carry it alone. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in any case, uh, this basically concludes our Shonen Sunday portion of the recap, so now we'll head into the Shonen Magazine portion. Let's do this. And uh, so we're going to start off with Hajime no Ippo chapter uh, 1225. Allison, you do the honors of recapping this. I finally get another turn. Okay, so chapter 1225. Ippo's doggy named Wampo. The doggy is going nuts because he smells or hears Ippo coming home from late night uh, Late night boxing coaching. I was like, I should probably make him something to eat. And then he goes running home. The dog is barking. And Wamp and he goes like, oh, Wampo, you gotta be quiet. He's like, oh, yeah, I made you dinner. And he goes like, sorry, I woke you up. I know you have to be up early tomorrow. Like, wow, mom, he must have a sixth sense. Man, this really is like, catch me no Epo, the sixth sense up in here. Because the <laughs> said the dog had the sixth sense. And then Epo says, mom has the sixth sense. It's like the sixth sense up in here. Is there going to be uh, some random plot twist? Like M. Night Shyamalan's Sixth Sense movie? I don't know. It could be possible. I was talking to his mom about how cool the match was. He's like, man, being a coach sure feels great. I'm sure Coach Kamigawa feels the same way. And then he goes, mom's like, do you like want to box some more? I kind of want to keep doing matches, but not as a boxer. Because he's really into being the secondary, the boxing ring. And then I'm like, oh, it's been so good. You did not feel remorse at all for retiring. I'm so proud of you. Like, I really want to celebrate all the matches on the ring together with my coach. I'm like getting manly eye sweat in my eyeballs. Because this is all so cute and wholesome. That Epo goodness. Reward didn't read all the Epo, so I don't know how he feels about this. Reading all this stuff. I mean, I find it interesting. <laughs> That's good. And then he was like, there's nothing you can't do. And if you ask me, Boxer was already a miracle. All sometimes. And then he was, mom's like, so I feel like they're more selfish. Like, if they're not in the star, it's pointless. See Takamura <laughs> laughing like a maniac. His mom's like, being the star up till now, is it really that simple to downgrade like that? Do you know why they're called second? Yeah, second, number two. It means they're a number two star. It is all happy and cute. His mom's talking to a photo of Epo's dad. His mom's like, do you think you could actually fight your dad? And then Epo's like, I'm no match for my dad. His mom takes down the photo and says, I thought you'd say you wanted to start boxing again. But to have such an adult response, that was a surprise. All these flashbacks of earlier Epo parts with tiny Epo with the mom and dad doing the fishing and how Epo was so small and he was so upset when he couldn't carry heavy things. All Epo's like, if only I were bigger. All these cute flashbacks. Oh my god, Lord, I'm getting manly eye sweat again. <laughs> uh, it's a very touching flashback. Uh, then he comforts Epo's mom who's crying. Oh man, it's, uh, too much feels, man. 
in the bathtub, thinking about, like, his mom encouraging him like that. And then he posts thinking, things are amazing. And then he's finished taking a bath. Mom, I can make breakfast. And then they look at the mom and sees the mom fast asleep with the photo of Ebo's dad. Even now, dad's still protecting mom. I really am no match for him. And then it's back to the boxing ring with Ebo and all his buddies. Amazing, you're amazing. And then the other guy's like, you really think so? Just keep throwing your punches out. Focus your jacks on the top. Once he brings his guard up, hit him from below. Some matches and it looks really hype. And then Frog Punch ends up winning. Hooray. The guy's like, he poses so as nice in a second. He makes it look all so easy and makes you feel like a genius. And then Itagaki's like, all right, I'm stoked. And then they're not the type who does better with praise. Like, let's show Ippo something good. Because then Ippo will praise me. Just, Itagaki just like kicks the guy's butt. Like in one punch, he's down. <laughs> and then Itagaki's like, yeah, I did it. And then Ebo like puts out this stool, upset, grumpy type way, and tells some really big lecture about something. It's like, how'd I do, senpai? And then Ebo's like, you did stuff all wrong. And then Igaki's like, what? <laughs> and then the, the title on the bottom says, Ebo the second, and vinegar. <laughs> Metaphors. Oh. Sounds delicious. Yes, yes it does. But yeah, I found this chapter really sweet. It was a really nice chapter between Ippo and his mom. Like, I'm kind of happy that Ippo's mom is, like, very supportive of Ippo's choices. Like, she's, she's happy that he still is finding enjoyment in what he's doing, even though he's not in the ring anymore. Which is nice. I'm curious to see what Ippo has to say to Itagaki about the boxing. Because he looks very <laughs> disappointed right now. Yeah, that, that uh... He was uh, trying to do some fancy moves there. Maybe Ippo just wasn't impressed. I think I thought the picture was so funny that I just put it down in the notes. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah. Ippo's expression is just great there. But yeah. Another fantastic chapter of Hajime no Ippo. Um, so now uh, we should move on to our, our next uh, Shota Magazine series. Which is a brand new series. Um, which is Hitman by Seo Koji. Um, for those who aren't familiar with Seo Koji, uh, he is the creator behind such series as Suzuka, as well as the recently ended Fuka. So he's back with a new series this time called Hitman. To Hitman Reborn? Uh, unfortunately not. It's nothing like Hitman Reborn. <laughs> Sorry, I had uh. to make that joke. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Um, in any case, let's just get straight into recapping this. Um, basically, it starts off with a kid named uh, Kenzaki Ryonosuke, who's a senior at Tokyo University, coming across a set of pages from a manga. And as he's reading it, it starts to tear up, and he's like, uh... This is too much and stuff out of, like, just how good it is. And then suddenly the pages are swiped from him by a random woman. And uh, Kenzaki is like, that manga is super interesting. And uh, he's like, you must be a mangaka or an editor. Um, and 
he mentions how he's come to Kodansha for an interview to become an editor and that that uh, manuscript or as they refer to a name on the lying on the ground that he had just picked up and started reading was super interesting and uh, for um, her to let him know if it's uh, from a mangaka that she's in charge of. Um, then uh, a recruiter comes out and calls for uh, the woman who is called Miss Tanashi and uh, he realized that uh, they're both uh, they're both in the final round of interviews at Kodansha and uh, as uh, Tanashi's about to leave, she kind of gives uh, uh, this uh, gives Kenzaki this kind of mad grimace, saying, "Since you believe this to be lost property, I'll be returning it to the employees here." And Kenzaki just kind of thinks, "Huh, she's pretty, but she's also really scary." <laughs> um, you got the intro this this magazine that we're talking about right now. Like, are they the owner of it? Yes, so this he's interviewing for a position at Weekly Shonen Magazine. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a Bakuman type of situation where the manga's about the publisher that it's running in. <laughs> uh, um, in any case, uh, we then go to Kenzaki's actual interview with the, uh, I assume it's like a board of directors or board of editors. And they the first question they ask him is, if we told you to run around the office naked... So we could take photos. Would you do it? And he's like, huh, what the heck? And he's like, I guess that would be a little much for me. And two of the guys are like, why? It's your job, isn't it? Why can't you even do that? And then he's like, starts sweating like crazy and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but uh, to calm down, one of the guys is like, of course you'd be troubled by hearing a request like that. And then asks uh, what his favorite manga is. And uh, he says that uh, he loved Kodansha's basketball manga, Traveling. And uh, he particularly loved the moment when the protagonist made his return to the team when they were in a pinch. That part gave him like serious goosebumps and made him really fired up. This is this a real mango magazine? Or is this a parody of something? I think it's supposed to be a parody because I tried looking up some of the random manga that they name drop in this chapter and none of them seem to exist. So I think it's supposed to be plays on words on actual manga. But yeah, any, anyways, uh, he, he says how that gave him uh, goosebumps and stuff. And the editor's like, so you like traveling that much, huh? And he like uh, energetically says yes back. Then the editor's just like, that series wasn't popular at all, so it got axed. And uh, Kenzaki just has this kind of dead expression on his face and things like, oh yeah, I guess I failed uh, the interview. Um, it was a miracle I even made it to the final round. Our battle has only just begun. And then, like, uh, the chapter jokingly has a the end uh the end title, like, right at the end of the page, and says, um, please look forward to <laughs> Seo Sensei's next work. But of course, we see we're we only, like, ten pages into the chapter. So the next page, it, uh, skips over to June of the year, where it turns out Kintaki did get hired, along with another guy called Asama Hiroto. And they're now both working as new editors at Weekly Shutter Magazine. 
in any case, uh, both uh, him and uh, both Kinzaki and uh, Asama uh, introduce themselves to their new co-workers. And then uh, Kinzaki's like, let's give it everything to God. But then before they can start working, um, the editor, the editor-in-chief, who was part of the interview group for Kinzaki, mentions, so someone like you is joining up with us now? Damn, is this company going to be okay? I mean, you were the guy who talked up a series that got canceled. And, like, all, all the all the old staff are kind of making fun of him for liking a canceled series. And then, uh, basically, the editor-in-chief assigns uh, Asama, his mentor. But then he tells Kenzaki that his mentor's on paid vacation. So he should just go do whatever around the office. So Kenzaki goes and asks uh, the deputy editor-in-chief uh, if uh, what he should do in the office. And one of the uh, other editors chats, chastises him before he, uh, he can continue talking to the deputy editor. And uh, basically talks about how the deputy editor, Yagami Kazutake, has uh, moved over 182 million volumes of manga while working over his 16 years of the company. And uh, Kenzaki freak is, freaks out over this. And then uh, they basically go over all the other big, big wig uh, editors um, at the company. Uh, we have one dude, uh, Natori Kenji, who's shipped over 5 million volumes. A female editor, Watsunuki Miyabi, who's shipped over 32 million volume or 31 million volumes and uh a young a young editor called Fushimi Naoki who has moved over 12 million volumes they're really long names I, I guess they're, they're pretty normal length names but like yeah in any case basically those four are like the top editors at uh Weekly Shonen Magazine and the, basically the number of volumes I'm getting food wars again. Yeah, so it kind of reminds right me of that. Like, I think these are going to be, like, our big bosses of the manga that uh, Kenzaki's going to have to go up against. Because, uh, this this editor who's explaining it to him, whose name is uh, Nakata Taishi, um, basically says, uh, the number of volumes you move is equivalent to your own value. It's your strength. No, it's your ability to fight. <laughs> We're, oh boy, this is intense. It's become manga wars. <laughs> uh, um, so he Kenzaki then asks what his fighting ability is like, and then it just shows a a box that says he's only moved one hundred and fifty thousand volumes. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, but compared to those other guys, it's true. But still, that's that's like a lot of volumes in itself. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, trying to make him not feel bad. <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, we then pan over to Kenzaki, uh, uh, having, uh, his lunch and, uh, frustratingly reading a copy of Shonen Magazine while eating and talking about how the editor-in-chief is pissing him off and how his mentor isn't even here. And, uh, then he encounters one of his, uh, friends who, uh, went to the same college as him, uh, Kawa... Kawa Uchimio, who has been at uh, Kodansha for one year and is working for another magazine at Kodansha. And uh, basically, uh, she chastises him uh, 
for reading uh, manga while eating, and that how uh, Kenzaki is super ditzy and stuff, and uh, well, one one joke Kenzaki mentions is that uh, when he when he he had been placed on phone duty, and when uh, he was placed on phone duty at the office, he actually said, "Hi, this is the Shonen Jump editing department." Instead of showing magazine. And Mio's like, see, aren't you just doing the ditzy things? And then she's like bragging, as for my proposal, I have put forward this morning. It received a lot of praise and they're already moving forward with it. Um, Then uh, suddenly uh, one of Mio's bosses appears, uh, Wakatsuki Aiko, who's a senior editor for... Or for Vivi, which I think is a, I think it's either a Shoujo magazine or a Jose magazine that Kodansha owns. And uh, basically, she like kind of is joking that uh, that uh, Kenzaki's Mio's boyfriend and stuff, which makes uh, Mio flustered and all that. Then she gets all flirty with Kenzaki and like is like, if you happen to work on an interesting manga, let's do a collaboration someday. Um and. This makes me mad and all that. And then basically we pan back to uh, Kenzaki working the phones at the Weekly Shonen Magazine editor office. And uh, he's like, I can't let Neo get ahead of me. So he's basically watching the phone in case uh, a mangaka calls coming with a manuscript or something. And uh, basically whoever picks up the phone at the office gets first dibs on the... uh, on the mangaka, so suddenly the phone rings and Kenzaki picks it up. It turns out to be an applicant who's already in the first floor lobby. And uh, one of the editors mentions that people who just randomly come here to bring their mangas to editors are usually not that good. And they usually have dud manga that are boring. But Kenzaki refutes this and says that he's sure he's sure it'll be like an amazing manga and he'll find the diamond in the rough and he's like at last my life as an editor begins so he gets to uh down to the first floor and he uh encounters uh the the girl who turns out to be uh uh miss takanashi uh subasa who appeared at the beginning of the chapter the person who uh kenzaki had picked up the uh the manuscript of Went at his interview place. And Kenzaki realizes this. And then uh, asks why uh, why she uh, didn't uh, pass uh, the interviews. But she explains that she didn't fail. And that uh, she decided to... Uh, she, she decided not to do the interview and just went home. After uh, Kenzaki said that uh, her name... Uh, her name story was interesting and she decided to turn into a manuscript as quickly as possible. And uh, basically she's like, because you told me that manga was interesting, I, I want to turn it into a proper series. So you have to take responsibility for it. And so they decide to go up uh, to the editor's office uh, to go and read the manga. So they uh, Kenzaki goes through the, the manuscript itself reading all the words and everything, all the pages. And at the end of it, he's like, he says it's super interesting. And he 
it was even more interesting than the name that uh, she had dropped at the, at the interview. Um, and uh, she said that uh, it, it was a story that she had drawn a long time ago. So um, I, she edited it as, I, as she was uh, redrawing further the manuscript. And uh, Kenzaki considers to say it's like really great and all that. Um, and then says that uh, they should aim for serialization, but uh, uh, Takanashi is like uh, instead they should uh, aim for the uh, newcomers award, which is an award that's held every six months. And uh, she uh, Kenzaki agrees, and that uh, he says that she'll definitely win the prize for the award competition because of how interesting the manga is. And uh, then uh, T- Takanashi leaves the office. But as she leaves, uh, Deputy Editor-in-Chief Yagami grabs the manuscript from Kenzaki and starts going through it. And after a while, Takanashi realizes that she has to go get like uh, Kenzaki's business card to contact him. So as she's coming back up, she notices uh, Yagami chastising Kenzaki for saying that the manga was so good because when Yagami looks at the manuscript he just finds it boring saying that it would never win the newcomer award let alone a monthly prize award and uh Kenzaki argues that Yagami didn't even read the entire thing and only looked at the early pages but Yagami elaborates that the long drawn out exposition that goes on for pages and pages and a protagonist that no one can empathize with won't make readers interested and readers aren't going to be invest in reading the entire first chapter if there's nothing interesting for them right away. He also chastises the art saying that the art skills for an individual of that age just aren't good and then even jokes that middle schoolers uploading their art to Pixiv are probably better than it. Which, damn, that's a low blow. <laughs> yeah, ouchie. Um, and Basically, he just concludes that getting involved with her would be a waste of time, and that she's a typical dud newcomer. Um, and yeah, Yagami just kind of keeps saying that, yeah, uh, she's really just not suited for this line of work. And uh, basically, Kenzaki apologizes for speaking so rudely with Yagami, but says in the end he still can't accept Yagami's words, and says, um... Yeah, he 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 does, thinks that they don't have the right to crap all over people who have decided to try their best f- from now on. And then artist passion is the most important thing. But Yagami argues that any author will have that and only the rare talents survive. But Kinzaki argues is it's so wrong to call an interesting work interesting and that he will take the responsibility and make the, the ta- Takanashi the number one manga artist in Japan and Yagami just says sure go ahead and submit it for the award or whatever you want and uh says judging from his experience he will certainly fail um Takanashi seeing all this uh kind of tears up and then as after she leaves uh she says that she's texts uh, Kenzaki that she thinks she'd like to redo the, the script after all and that they should meet again so that uh, they can make it even more interesting. We uh, then uh, pan over to the editor-in-chief of Weekly Shonen Magazine. Um, who is uh, celebrating with uh, Mangaka. Who has 
sold over 90 million volumes. And the, uh, the topic of Kenzaki comes up because apparently the editor-in-chief, despite chastising him, did give Kenzaki a special A rating at the employment examinations, which is probably one of the big reasons why he got accepted into as an editor in Weekly Shonen Magazine. Um, and the editor-in-chief says that Kenzaki couldn't even answer uh, the basic interview questions with a straight answer, but um, when he started talking about his favorite manga, um, that's where his intrigue in him kind of peaked. Because despite him mentioning a manga that it was canceled, the specific scene that he mentioned from the chapter was the single moment that that series re- took first place in the Shonen Magazine rankings. And uh, yeah, that, that's basically a sign that Kenzaki has potential as an editor. And that's uh, where our chapter ends. Overall, I, I enjoyed this uh, a fair bit. I feel like uh, the first chapter isn't like crazy impressive in my opinion, but the the idea of it kind of being from like an editor's perspective on the manga industry is pretty interesting. It's kind of like the opposite of Bakuman, where Bakuman is about the artists. Well, this time it's about the editors themselves, which is interesting because editors always in manga have like a big role in the series themselves. That's kind of... Uh, not as heavily focused on, usually. So it's interesting how uh, Seo Koji is going to handle this and how he's going to focus on um, uh, the editor's side of the manga industry. Yeah, I mean, Seo Koji hasn't had a... Uh, I don't think Seo Koji hasn't had a cancelled series in, like, over 16 years. So I think he'll probably be sticking around, especially with a premise... Uh, so close to home with the uh, editorial that I think they're going to want to push it just because I think it would also be a good like promotion for Shonen Magazine itself. Yeah, true. I mean, they do need something. But, well, they got the Orient and they got Fairy Tales guys. New they got, they got so Orient, Fairy Tale, Fire Force. I mean, Shonen Magazine has a lot of hits, but the, you can never have too many hits. So It's like not as many hits as Trump, probably. I mean, Jump is like an anomaly juggernaut, so. I guess Shonen Magazine isn't like as heavy about canceling everything as Jump is. Yeah, that that's definitely true too. But Allison, what did you think of this chapter overall? All of it, I'll probably try to read more of it. Because the premise has me intrigued. Yeah, I, I agree. They don't have many mango that focus on editors as much as they do authors. Yeah, I, I definitely just find the idea of the premise alone very interesting. And even though uh, Seo Koji is kind of known for being a bit of an inconsistent writer, uh, Fuka, Fuka's the final final few chapters were a bit iffy in quality, and some people have mixed feelings about some of his plot twists. But I feel like a premise like this just seems so interesting that I just kind of want to read it off pure curiosity. It's more interesting so, in premise than Fuka ever was, to be honest. I mean, I, I actually find Fuka's premise very interesting because of how how the twist in Fuka about Fuka, like, spoiler, Fuka dies. That's kind of a big deal. But uh, that, that stuff with Fuka and then, like, the, the band trying to live on in her name is kind of an interesting take on the music manga genre. But 
Yeah, yeah, I do know some people have mixed feelings about Fuka, which is fair. Um, in any case, uh, I think we should move on to our last Shonen Magazine series, Orient. So here we have Orient Chapter 4. So basically this starts off with the Kishin kind of destroying everything everywhere. And it's just causing a ton of chaos and all that. Destroying things, making a bunch of fire, all that junk. And uh, basically, uh, Musashi's trying to take on the Kishin. Um, and he's super energetic about it, but he can't really break through the Kishin's body. But then suddenly one of the Bushi soldiers grabs uh, Musashi and kind of ties him up and brings him up to where all the other Bushi soldiers are. And uh, they're like, this is our territory. We'll deal with the Kishin. You don't worry about it. And uh, basically the leader of the Bushi Takeda is like, do you really think you can take on this Bushi all by yourself? Look at you, you're only one person. You can't honestly take on an entire Bushi. And they show all these like Bushi struggling to fight the uh, the Kishin even altogether. And that uh and that uh if they are struggling just to do that, he doesn't stand a chance. And uh uh Musashi acknowledges this, but at the same time he says that he can't stop himself. He has an urge to fight him or fight the Kishin. So he breaks free of the uh, restraints that one of the Bushi soldiers has put on him and then rushes back to the battlefield. Um, when the soldiers ask if uh, they should stop him, Takeda is just like uh, that it's all right uh, since the since Musashi's resolution seems real. But in any case, he's not going to make it in time. Musashi notices that he's too far away from the Kishin and the... Bushi are preparing uh, their final attack against the Kishin. And basically it's like they're they're all powering up. This large like aura is kind of building. And uh, they're saying like the Bushi are saying that their leader will put an end to the Kishin. And anyone, any straggler escapees uh, should get out of the way or they might die. Meanwhile, Kojiro is in the distance saying... Uh, that a finishing blow, this is bad. They'll take away our first achievement. And uh, Kojiro's like, Musashi's risking his life. Am I just going to run away? And he's like questioning himself. But the Bushir yelling at him, run away and to not die in vain. But Kojiro says that he's made up his mind. Um. Meanwhile, we go back to uh, Musashi running towards the battlefield. And while the Bushi are saying for him to run away because he'll just get caught in the crossfire. But uh, Musashi's like, all these people are trying me to run away, yet I'm not running away. Why is that? Is that for the sake of my dream? Is it because I want to become a Bushi? And he's like, no, no. Until yesterday, I used to listen to everyone's babbling, didn't I? Um, And like he's remembering how everyone used to call the Bushis like nasty and worthless and all that stuff. And Mushashi's like, right, I used to follow what everyone around me said, and I ended up running away from what I wanted to do. I don't want to go back to being that person. And he realized that's the reason he keeps fighting. And he's like, I, I won't make it in time if I keep running. So basically, uh, basically Kojiro kind of runs up and is like, so basically he like comes up to the Kishin, 
and is like grabbing his uh his uh kind of scythe blade in like a bushy style sorts and uh uh he does the Kimakaishin Soul of Destruction technique, the Great Killing Sword, and then slashes down onto the onto the ground. And as he's doing that, he creates a giant ripple on the ground that starts cracking everything. And it, which creates like an earthquake of sorts. Meanwhile the Bushi are saying that they'll fire their Azure a crane wings in about five seconds. Um, and that they shouldn't slow down their grip or anything until the very end. But finally, the earthquake reaches them. And that uh, they should uh, prepare for the incoming shock uh, from the headquarters arena. And uh, suddenly, a landslide just comes on top of them. Um, which prevents them from uh, doing the Azure... Crane Wings formation, and then Musashi comes up alone and steps onto the Kishin again. And the Bushi are just like, that boy, he didn't stop until he reached the Kishin. And then Musashi's like, alright, I arrived before the guy's finishing blow, and now I gotta do what I can. And then he, uh, he remembers how uh, Takeda had said the Kishin skin regenerates over time, and that uh, it's not an easy opponent that he can just face alone. Then suddenly Kojiro calls out saying uh, that he should strike the Kishin's belly button and that uh, that the Shinkaku is the vital spot of the Kishin. Um, and the officers are like, boss, you spilled the beans so easily. And Kojiro is just like, don't smash the skin from his belly, but the horn that grows from his belly, if you do that, the Kishin will die. And then... Uh, he's like, I, you were slacking. I had no no choice but to help you. And then Musashi goes back into his thoughts. He's like, that's right. I'm not alone. I have Kojiro. So basically, Musashi decides to hit the the spot on the belly button that Kojiro mentioned. And as he strikes it, his, uh, his blade just breaks in half. And Kojiro tells him to watch out behind him because the Kishin is shooting out a fire diamond arrow thing but Takeda blocks the attack and slices it to protect uh, uh, Musashi and then Takeda kind of praises his determination and says that uh, to leave the rest to him and then uh, Takeda cuts the horn off for Musashi yeah which seems to make uh, Musashi a bit mad there. So we'll see what happens in the next chapter. Overall, though, I like this chapter a lot. It was a, it was a really action-heavy chapter, but it was also just very good. Kind of fortifies Musashi and Kojiro's determination to be bushy. It also kind of helps establish Takeda a bit more. He kind of definitely feels like a bit of a Sinbad figure of sorts. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting how uh, he and Kojiro uh, interact with a Takeda and his Abushi squad in the coming chapters. Because I, I doubt that they're going to join his Abushi uh, group, but it'll be interesting to see, like, well, what exactly they gain by uh, their encounter with these Bushi. So yeah, Otaka's continuing to do a fantastic job with this manga. I'm uh, looking forward to the fifth chapter. Um, in any case, I... Uh, so yeah, that basically uh, concludes our Weekly Shredder Magazine portion of the recap and the recap as a whole.
So yeah. Ooh, that I think this has been our longest episode so far. I think that uh, start mango took up most of the time. Yeah, and I think I think it did. I think that and Orient took up a good most of the time, really. Because yeah, this Orient chapter was also longer than your standard chapter, which is kind of insane that Otaka's outputting uh, more than twenty chat twenty pages per week. Though it's likely that she probably has been prepping this manga for a while, which is why she's doing that. Uh, but in any case, yeah. A lot of content, and it's only going to increase next week because we're adding Eden Zero by Hiro Mashima next week to the lineup. So look forward to that. that that'll be fun and easy to read because I don't have to deal with porn ads. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, that'll be interesting. Hopefully, uh, uh, it's actually good. <laughs> well, Lord, why you gotta hate fairy tale like that? I mean, it's less that and more like uh, just based on the character designs of Eden Zero. I'm not sure uh, how derivative a fairy tale it's gonna be. Fairy tale kind of looks like Rape Master. That's true, but like you literally have a character that looks like uh, Gray in this, and Lucy and Happy. Ah, <laughs> uh, Lord. This will be good. Yeah, I'm gonna keep an open mind. I am gonna read it regardless. I've I've read a lot of bad manga, so I'm fine with reading anything. <laughs> My standards are all over the place. And you read Black Clover, so I can. Agree Black Clover's there. good though. <laughs> yes, that's what everybody says, but I haven't heard much good things aside from you and that other guy. <laughs> Oh, but uh, in any case, uh, I think uh, we should get out of here because, yeah, we've, we've been recording for a while. So, uh, Allison, where can the good people find you? On Twitter.com. How about you? Um, the people can find me on Twitter at VLORGTZ. That is V-L-O-R-D-G-T-Z. Um, I'm usually talking about whatever I'm up to on there, from manga to anime, um, and just other stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so if you are interested in what I'm up to outside of this podcast, follow me on there. And if you want to keep uh, keep up to speed with the podcast, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Drowning in Manga, just as uh, the title is spelled on here. And yeah, that, that's where we'll update when the new episodes are coming out. And uh, yeah, also follow us on iTunes because our episodes are also uploaded there. Um, wherever and wh- wherever you support us is always a good thing. The more support, the better. It's always good to get the podcast out there. And uh, yeah, th- that's about it, basically. Um, look forward to the next episode where we're gonna have even more manga and more drowning in tons of uh series recaps and later. Hey.